Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right, we are beginning our series on Advent. And Advent uh, uh, is, maybe you're familiar with the term, I grew up in a liturgical church, and so we uh, practiced Advent every year. It means, the word it means traditionally, the weeks in preparation preceding the celebration of Christmas. And depending on your liturgy and the church tradition you may uh, be familiar with, there's a different number of weeks, and they cover uh, a number of themes that prepare our hearts and our spirits and our, our attitudes, our minds, our lives for the celebration of Christmas. But theologically, it refers to either the first or the second coming of the Messiah. Uh, in, the, in Latin, the word uh, translated for Advent literally means coming. And so <clears throat> Advent is really about uh, the Lord coming. Uh, first, as the infant in the incarnation uh, 2,000 years ago, but also it refers to the second Advent when Christ returns. And so over the course of this month, we're going to look at uh, four of the common themes of Advent. And this morning, we're looking at the expectation of hope. Um, uh, Celebrating Advent is celebrating Christ's coming, but also declaring His triumphant return. So it's, it's looking back to what Jesus has already accomplished, but also looking forward to His return. And just think, the the Hebrews, the Jewish people, knew about the coming Messiah. It had been prophesied, but they waited thousands of years for that fulfillment. Many, many, many generations lived their entire life waiting for the coming of uh, of the Messiah the first time. And uh, the Messiah was initially promised right in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, the story of the creation and the fall that the descendant of Eve would crush the serpent's head. That's the first promise of the coming Messiah. And throughout Scripture, that thread, that promise is carried through. And there's, of course, countless um, mentions of the coming of Christ. It's said that uh, you can find Jesus on every page of Scripture if you know how to look for him. But one of the key uh, characters was Abraham the father of the Jewish nation from whom all Jews descend. Uh, He lived almost 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. Yet it was through Abraham, the promise of the Messiah. God promised to Abraham that through his seed, all the families of the whole earth would be blessed. That promise continued from creation through Abraham. Isaiah, one of the primary prophets of the Old Testament, Uh, prophesied about the coming Messiah in extreme detail. Uh, The book of Isaiah is is really the best representation of the gospel in the Old Testament because it talks so much about the character and the purpose and the plan of God through the Messiah. Isaiah did all of that prophesying about Christ 700 years prior to Jesus' birth. Can you imagine waiting on a promise that someone made to us 
in the year 1320. That's over 100 years before Columbus discovered the New World. Yet the people of Israel were clinging to that promise that Isaiah made 700 years earlier. And, uh, you know, when we read the Scripture, we wonder how they could be so uh, uh, hard to con be convinced and why the Pharisees and the Sadducees were so religious. Listen, if I lived during that day, I would probably be one of them because I've been so long and so disconnected from what they were experiencing in their daily lives. That those who were faithful, those who were uh, sincere, and we have testimony of, of those who waited diligently. I think of the, the priest, uh, what was their, their names? Uh, uh, the priest that dedicated uh, um, uh, Jesus in the temple, and that they had been waiting for the Messiah, and God had promised that they would see the Messiah before they died. And so there were faithful ones that continued the hope in that promise. And so the question for us today is, how do we maintain the hope? How do we uh, maintain our joy as we wait for the advent, the return of Christ? How can we uh, uh, keep that uh, kindled within us and not let the, the troubles of the world uh, extinguish it? And the primary way is by remembering God's faithfulness in Jesus' first coming. That gives us hope for his return. And so we have so much more than the people of the Old Covenant. You know, they had the prophets. They had the stories of their ancestors and the, the story of deliverance from, is, from uh, Egypt. Uh, uh, but that was long ago. We have the fulfillment of Jesus coming and we can read his words and his lessons and we can, we, can, uh, we can see in Scripture how he gave himself on the cross. He died for our sin and that he promised he would come again and then he rose from the dead and displayed his victory over death. And so by remembering that, remembering Christmas is a, is a very, very important way of maintaining our hope for Christ's return. See, Advent reminds us that things are not as they should be. We are waiting. Waiting for the light to come to dispel the darkness. Waiting for the return of the King. You know, the expectation of hope, the word hope itself implies that we are hoping for something we don't have. You don't hope for something you already have. You don't need to. You have it. I don't hope for a new car. I got a new car this year. So now I rejoice. I got a new car, like a brand new car. It's my first brand new car. Yeah, I know. I had three miles on it. No, I had 200 miles when I got it. My motorcycle had three miles on it. <laughs> that was three years ago. <laughs> I don't hope for a new motorcycle. I'm still enjoying the one I have, right? But when we look at life and the expectation of hope, of Advent, it's the realization of, of, you know what? The world is a long way from being ruled by Lord Jesus. The reign of Jesus is yet to be displayed in the earth. And every time there's sickness or death, every time there's sin, whether heinous at the murder or the abuse of uh, someone innocent or even minor sins, a little white lie or a little yielding to temptation, 
That's evidence that Jesus is yet to rule and reign on planet Earth. And we live in this world that's fallen and, and torn. Advent symbolizes the present situation of the church as God's people waiting for the return of Christ in glory to consummate his eternal kingdom. That's what we're hoping for. That's what our hope is placed in. And the church is in a similar situation to the uh, nation of Israel at the end of the Old Testament. They were in exile. They were waiting. They were hoping. They were prayerfully expecting the coming of the Messiah. Israel had seen their glory days uh, during the reign of King David and, and, and Solomon when the nation was strong. But by the end of the Old Testament, they had gone through uh, many, many years of exile. And even though they were living back in the promised land, it was nothing compared to what it used to be. And they were waiting. They knew that their only hope was not through some uh, 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 political maneuvering, even though some still clung to that. They needed the Messiah to come to bring deliverance. And the church is in that same place now. We live in a world where we need the coming Messiah to bring the fullness of all that Jesus promised. So Isaiah prophesied the advent of the Messiah. In, in chapter 8 of Isaiah, I'm not going to um, exegete the whole of chapter 8. We're going to jump into chapter 9 and talk about a very familiar Advent Christmas verse in detail. But chapter 8, before this promise, uh, foretold of destruction of Judah by the Assyrians. And if you read it, it's, it's grim. Uh, Isaiah said, you know what? Everything's going to be destroyed. The Assyrian army, which is a godless, pagan uh, uh, enemy of Israel, was going to come in and destroy everything. And that was it. But in the middle of chapter 8, Isaiah makes this wonderful declaration. In the middle of a prophecy about destruction and, and the world taking over, he says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, I will hope in him. And so Isaiah was declaring that even in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of chaos and destruction, he had hope. And that's the word of the Lord for us. That's the confession that we need to make in the midst of our uh, chaos and destruction, that I will hope. That's the prophetic lifestyle God is calling every Christ follower to is to have hope. So we gotta look, we have to look past our troubles. So, so Isaiah prophetically could see what was yet to come, the destruction of the nation of Judah and the Assyrians taking over and all of the consequences that that would mean. He could see that, but he had hope beyond what he could see, which was the coming of the Messiah. We likewise need to be able to see past the troubles, whether they be the breakdown in society, whether they be injustices that we see daily in the news, in our lives, uh, whether all this, have you noticed things are disrupted because of the pandemic? Things are not the way they're supposed to be. I'm preaching to a nearly empty room, and I'm so glad you're joining us. Uh, on, on, on uh, the live stream, and we're going to uh, allow people to regather next week for those who are comfortable. 
But, you know, there's a long way. Hospitals, my wife works in a hospital, and the hospitals are filled with people suffering from COVID. And, and we are looking, we must look beyond that. And it's difficult. And then we have uh, personal challenges. Um, talking with uh, uh, someone recently, and their parents had just divorced. And they, did, they just found out on, 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 Christ, on Thanksgiving. And it was, uh, it was heartbreaking. And, and uh, my parents divorced right during Christmas time. This was, you know, almost uh, over 45 years ago. And it still uh, has an emotional impact on me. Um, we suffer disappointments in life. So maybe we've lost a job or lost our hopes, or uh, maybe you're young and, <clears throat> you know, it's a pandemic. How can you even make a plan for the future? Or maybe you have health concerns. All of those things are the troubles that we are currently in the midst of. The Advent comes and says, look beyond those for the hope that is promised in the Messiah, all right? It's in the midst of darkness that God promises to bring forth the light of the world. So let's jump into Isaiah chapter 9 and this famous scripture about the coming of the Messiah and associated with Christmas. We're going to go through beginning in verse uh, 1. It says, Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Hallelujah. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when the Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. It goes on to say, And the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. So darkness and distress are real. But they are neither the only reality nor the fundamental reality. I love that. It's actually a quote from a reference source that the commentary. The darkness and the distress are real, but they are not the only reality. And they're not the most important. They're not the fundamental reality. Having hope in no way denies, dismisses, or diminishes the reality of suffering. And this is where uh, I think a lot of people struggle. They have difficulty reconciling the um, call to be a person of faith, to have joy, and to be confident in the midst of a time of suffering and struggling. It's because it's like, what, am I supposed to deny all of this pain I see or am experiencing? No, you don't deny it. You look beyond it. And you realize, yeah, that's real, but it's not ultimate reality. It's, not, it, it's just leading up to the return of Christ. It's leading up to the promise fulfilled. And I believe that we have so many promises that we can experience in this life, even before Christ returns, that we need to be able to see beyond the troubles of our lives. And that's what Advent calls us to. Hope is the confident expectation that this is not the end, that God will come through. Whatever the this is in your life, and it's different for you than it is for me. Everyone has their own struggles, their own challenges. But the truth is constant for all, that this is not the end. And that's the message of Advent, okay? 
In any given situation, we have a choice. And if you, if you just see the troubles, if you just see the controversy, if you just see the striving, if you just see the disappointment, the hurt, and the pain, it's very easy to fall into despair or to apathy. Or you can choose to rise to faith and hope. How? By remembering what Jesus accomplished when he came is uh, 2,000 years ago in the incarnation and the promise he made that he will come again and bring all things to uh, uh, righteousness. Isaiah prophecy is fulfilled by the Lord Jesus in Matthew of, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 12. It says, now, I, um, now when I, he heard that John had been arrested, uh, this was uh, referring to John the Baptist, says, now when he heard that John, uh, Jesus, referring to John the Baptist being arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in, Caper- in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, the same places that was mentioned in the uh, prophecy, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. Isaiah said they will see, and in uh, Matthew it's fulfilled because the light was Jesus living there. A people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And of course, the scripture is specifically referring to the Gentiles that lived in Galilee. Galilee was a section in the uh, 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 geographic nation of Israel that was primarily populated by Gentiles, and Jesus lived there. And so the light was in the midst, but it's prophetically also speaking of all Gentiles. And that's pretty much most of us in this church, unless you have a have a Jewish heritage, you're a Gentile. That's, that's of all the races of all mankind, that through Abraham, all the families of the earth, through Abraham's seed, Jesus is Ab- the seed of Abraham, the families of all the earth would be blessed. And, he's, and Jesus uh, wraps this up, uh, this, this fulfillment of this prophecy leads to Jesus' message, which was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the light that was seen, Jesus and the message of the gospel. And Jesus also alludes to the same prophecy in the book of John, uh, uh, the gospel of John, chapter 8, 12, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He's saying he's the fulfillment of that uh, prophecy 700 years ago. He was the fulfillment that this was the great light that would fill the earth. And he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus came as the light of the world to offer hope. But that hope is dependent upon our response of repentance and following him. It's very important to understand. It's not some abstract, disconnected, theoretical hope just because Jesus came. The hope is real. But how do you connect with that hope personally? And there's, there's something you have to do individually, personally, in order to benefit from Jesus' advent and in order to benefit from both his first coming 
where he gained the, the, the victory over sin and forgiveness through death on the cross and to have the benefit of his second coming when he will come and rule and reign with righteousness over the whole of the earth. It requires you and I individually to repent. That means to renounce all of the things that we do, believe, our acts and thoughts that are contrary to God's character, to stop behaving in that way, stop believing those things, and then follow him. doesn't mean you're perfect. When you begin following him, you're just beginning. And it takes years. It takes your whole life. And I actually believe it takes all of eternity. It'll take an eternity to get to know an infinite God. Right? And so even after the resurrection, when we're freed from sin and, and Satan is dealt with and the, the temptations of the world is gone, we still will have an eternity to get to know God in a better and deeper way. That's the promise. That's the hope that we have that carries us through the darkness of our present day. Verses uh, five, uh, 3 through 5 of chapter 9 in Isaiah, we're going to continue on. It says, you will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you <clears throat> as people rejoice at harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Does that sound good? Oh, I want that. <clears throat> it goes on. It says, you will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the armies of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms of bloodstained uh, by war, the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. So God's plan for his people is rejoicing. Says, the word rejoice is used three times in that prophecy. You're going to rejoice. You're going to rejoice. Listen, you're going to rejoice. And then there's going to be an end. Uh, the promise of the gospel is an end of slavery. Every form of slavery, every form of addiction and bondage, every form of burden, every form of oppression, and my goodness, every form of war. And there's you know, one constant in humanity is, is war and violence. And the only way that can end is when Christ returns. And I love that sentence, that verse 5. It just stands out to me. The boots of the warrior. And by the way, it's the only time in the whole of the Bible that, that the word that's translated boots is used. And when that happens, sometimes it, it, it often is a, an, a thing to emphasize the importance of this as part of the prophecy. This picture, picture being uh, engaged in warfare, maybe for as long as you've known, but then coming to the place where you take off those bloody boots and the bloody uniform and you throw them into the fire. And it's a, that, that the fire, you don't have to go out and chop wood and labor to build a fire to cook your food or to have heat. It's actually the, 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 the remnant of warfare and violence is actually providing something beneficial now, warmth. And that's a promise that there will be a time where wars will end. When is that time? When Jesus returns. Jesus fulfills this promise and kind of references this, that verse again in Matthew 11 about lifting off burdens when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The message of Advent, Christ's coming, and Christmas, this is it. That we can be yoked with Jesus. And to be yoked, we don't use that term, it's not common, but in, in, in biblical days it was a very common phrase. Uh, it was a very common item. Everyone knew what it was. It was it's what connected two beasts of burden, whether they be oxen or horses, and so that there's strength, and not only two, they could have you know a dozen of them uh, teams that would pull plows or pull wagons. And so when they were yoked together, they shared the burden. And when we're yoked with Christ, that means we can't move independent of the other. If you're yoked with someone, you can't go this way and they go that way. All right? Like every movement of one influences the other. And when we're yoked with Christ, He lifts our burden. It's an intimate communion with the Lord Jesus Christ that gives us freedom. That's the hope that we have. And this is the only way that we can find true and enduring freedom in this life. And then this, uh, verse 6 and 7, is a famous Christmas passage. For a child is born to us a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will ro- rule with fairness and justice. Ah! From the throne of his ancestors da- uh, David for eternity. Fairness and justice. Complete justice for each and every individual on planet Earth. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Uh, So this is the promise: a child is born, a son is given, and there's a uh, there's a this is a reference to the incarnation. The Son is given. God the Son came as a child, being born in the newborn birth of Jesus, and of course the promise in. John uh, 3.16, explaining this, that because God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus existed eternally as God in heaven. He's one of the Trinity. In other places in Scripture, it says that through the Word of Jesus, everything was created. Everything exists by by His Word. And Jesus came, the Word came, the Son came as a human when he took on human form uh, in uh, a child when he was born to, the, uh, to Mary. So that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it says the government will rest on his shoulders. You realize that in Isaiah's time when that prophecy was given, as in our time, human government cannot be the source of our hope. And I just challenge you that if you're putting your hope in any form of human government, your hope will be disappointed. And I love this nation. I think that uh, the uh, American experiment, as it's called, democracy as it's, as it's done in our great country, is an excellent way to, uh, to run the government. It may be the best way uh, yet discovered. But no government is perfect. Nothing that includes humans in charge is going to uh, be able to 
uh, execute justice and fairness for everyone because we're broken at our core. Our hope is in the government of Jesus Christ. The message of the government, and, and it doesn't mean that you can't have a preference and that you can't support uh, this party or that party or this candidate or that candidate. No, we need to be representatives of Christ's kingdom in our government and pushing for the, the uh, nature and the character and the priorities of, the go- uh, of Christ's government in our, uh, uh, in our natural governments. But our hope is in the government of Jesus Christ. Uh, that there's an authority, a government that's far beyond all the principalities and power that operate on the earthly level. That our only true hope is in the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, Isaiah describes the character of Christ and the character of his rule as being wonderful and a wonderful counselor. That means this advice is just amazing, right? Mighty God, there's strength, there's power to implement it. Everlasting Father. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. And He's a Father. He's not a dominant ruler. He's a caring, uh, nurturing Father. And He's a Prince of Peace. That Jesus' rule will come and bring peace. And we see this fulfilled uh, when John the uh, Apostle writing Revelation was seeing just like Isaiah saw 700 years into the future. John the Apostle was seeing into the future upon Jesus' return, the second advent. He says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out, uh, uh, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. This is the promise of Scripture all the way through, that God wants to dwell with His people. He wants intimate relationship. And we can experience that now to a degree through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But there's hope for the fulfillment of that when Jesus returns and we can see it displayed in the whole of uh, creation and in all of society. It says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is an intimate experience for each and every one of us. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Yes, I'm hoping for that. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And the new there is renewed, restored, restored to their original purpose. And actually, when you restore something, you you restore it to a better condition than it was originally. And that's Jesus' promise to make all things new. So what about us? What Where do you and I fit into this story? And what can we learn from this? You know, we're in a time of darkness. We're weary. I'm weary with uh, everybody I talk to uh, is weary with the restrictions of the pandemic and the difficulties. We're weary of the stress that it's put on life. But even before the pandemic, there was so much stress and so many things that needed to be set right. Uh, And that's where we're at. We're in the now and not yet. We're in the in-between time. 
We hold on to the hope like Isaiah did, uh, while at the same time uh, uh, dealing with the difficulties and darknesses around us. And it doesn't deny that darkness, but we look past that darkness to the promise. And my favorite theologian, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, amazing uh, man of God. If you haven't read his books, you should. Uh, he was a great theologian. He stood up to the oppressiveness of Hitler and the, and the Third Reich. <clears throat> he actually was in America and had gained freedom but chose to go back to uh, teach the Bible in, um, under Hitler's rule in Germany, even though it was illegal what he did. And he ended up being uh, martyred for his faith shortly before the uh, Allies uh, overthrew the uh, Third Reich. But he said, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Listen, what he's saying, and I think it's, it's so profound, is that experiencing and feeling and being aware of the darkness that we're experiencing and suffering, whether it's personal or whether it's in our society, actually enables us to have hope. Because it means we recognize we're not in the place where we really, where, where Christ has called us to live fully. If you're satisfied in this life, then you're not hoping for the life to come. If you're satisfied with the level that you have now, you don't realize the level that Jesus has promised you. And so celebration of Advent requires us to recognize the darkness and distress that we're living in. That doesn't disqualify you from experiencing hope. That actually qualifies you for experiencing hope. And I hope that gives you hope. <laughs> that we can experience the promise. Advent is a time to recognize the darkness that we are in so that we can focus on the light to come. It's a time to repent of placing our hopes on anything or anyone other than the only one who can deliver true righteousness, peace, and joy, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. It's time to repent of thoughts and behaviors that are contrary to Jesus' rule and follow him as his uh, disciples, all right? And to celebrate his first coming in his um, uh, incarnation, and that's what Christmas is all about, but also celebrate and, and, and proclaim his return when he'll, when he'll come in power and majesty and, and rule and, and show his dominion.